Hello, everyone. Welcome to We Had the Talk. My name is Kiana Brooks. And my name is Jasmine Brooks. And together, we are your hosts of We Had the Talk, a podcast focused on encouraging others to have the tough conversations that people typically shy away from. Working to uncover biases and challenge the narrative, one conversation at a time. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of We Had the Talk. Today, we have with us members of one of our favorite podcasts, So-Called Oreos. Janae, Amari, and Kia formed this podcast to talk about the hardships of being labeled as too Black or too white in society and how this affects everyday life. Yes. Thank you, Janae, Amari, and Kia for joining us today. Thank Thank you you for having having us. (laughs) Well, (laughs) we're obviously on the same page all the time. (laughs) Thank you. So naturally, the title of today's episode is we had to talk about not being black enough. And we really wanted to focus on our experiences of receiving the label Oreo, or being told that we are too white or too black based on our mannerisms or personality. But more importantly, we wanted to use this episode as a platform to discuss some of the difficulties black people face on the day to day as they attempt to navigate a white world. And who better to help us speak to that than you all? Before we begin, why don't we take a moment to let you properly introduce yourself to our listeners to just tell us a little bit more about yourselves. I'll go first. Um, (laughs) Hi, everyone. Thanks for having us again. Um, My name is Janae, one of the three hosts of the so-called Oreos podcast. We already went over that, but I'm doing it again. Um, (laughs) And I currently work in journalism. Um, I do some freelance writing on the side host this here podcast. And yeah, I don't know what else to say in my intro. (laughs) I guess I'll go. (laughs) Um, Hi, I'm Nakia or Kia. Um, I am, I guess, born and raised from Jersey. Um, I work in the media world. If I'm not doing that, doing this podcast. Um, And yeah, that's amazing. Like my, my day to day. Um, yeah, I mean, I met Janae. I'll give a background of the podcast, I guess. I met Janae um, at um, our former employer, which is a media company. And then I met Amari through Janae. And that's kind of how we're all connected for this podcast. And, and yeah, I'm excited for people to hear more about um, the podcast. Uh, yeah, I'm Amari, the, the third member of so-called Oreos, currently a grad student at UNC, um, studying strategic communication, which I think is just like a fancy way of saying PR. Um, and I do a lot of like audience development work, um, and freelance writing on the side. So that's, I guess, me in a nutshell. Perfect. Okay. So for those of you who tuned in last week, we spoke about the challenges that come with adulting while being black, but this week we are focusing on the different struggles and triumphs that we face as a result of not feeling black enough. So starting with our guest speakers. You all have discussed on your podcast some challenges that you all have faced as a result of receiving the label Oreo. Can you all tell us a little bit about how you define an Oreo and the challenges you faced in particular as a result of receiving this label? Ooh, that's a good question. I'm going to let Amari go. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I guess like technically the definition definition term of like an Oreo is a black person who has adopted the mannerisms or thought processes of a white person. But that I think is just, I think people even not to say like dumb it down more, but essentially like if you do anything that people perceive as being white, which is like 
your language or the music you listen to or um, just dumb stuff like that, they'll label you as an Oreo. Um, so I guess that's like how it, how I usually look at it. And to yeah. say how it impacts me, that was the second part of the question, right? How it kind of impacts us in our everyday life. Yeah. I think you always get picked out by Black people and white people. So not only are you kind of shoved in this box of being represented a certain way, white people look at you as you're the good Negro and Black people look at you as kind of being not Negro enough. Mm-hmm. So you're just stuck in not fitting in, in in either bubble or either category. And it's it's very um, overwhelming and, and, and daunting and it can create an identity issue as well. Yeah, I think you... They did a good job of explaining that. Um, I think like when, so for us three, like our common, I guess, background is that we grew up in mostly white towns. And so I think that identity kind of crisis thing is hard to navigate in terms of high school, at least for myself. Like I never had to deal with bullying, thank God, or other things, but there were things where in terms of like identity, it was, it was not really knowing who I was until college because I went to a more diverse college and then yeah, I was just like, well, I'm not, I don't care what anyone thinks about me. This is me. And it just worked out, I guess. And then I think I just gravitated to people who also had that same identity crisis thing, which led me to like Janae and Amari and and this podcast. And I think doing it, I realized that more people feel that way, but just don't speak out about it. Um, And I think it's still, I think it's wild when like, I'll go on the um, Twitter podcast or the like our Twitter and like people will just like have negative comments because they don't like the name of the podcast or um, they'll just be like, oh, do we still need to hear these stories or like, and it, it just, it's wild to me because I'm like, you don't really see those stories on TV. You see like mm-hmm. people struggling and getting shot and killed and that's the only representation of black people. So it's like, yeah, maybe we should think about how we um, present because because it, it is kind of like Amari said like every time you do something that's not black it's just like you're not black like and it's just like all I wanted to do was like eat a pumpkin latte <laughs> and now I'm not black like fuck <laughs> so, so it's just like it is kind of like it's kind of like get a new joke like for me I'm kind of like okay like I'm still gonna eat this pumpkin latte like I don't <laughs> I don't know what you want me to do about it so yeah yeah, and, and you guys started touching on it there, right? It's just, I feel like we experienced the same thing growing up in predominantly white um, environments, but then, you know, trying to navigate that and trying to feel like we weren't being put into that box based on our race of how we should act in every single category of life, right? Down to the lattes we drink or down to, as you were just starting to describe Amari as well, like even music and things like that. So that was, I guess, the second part as well is what do you all feel contributes to or in what areas are you labeled as too black or too white? So we started again to talk about that. But what are some other examples that you guys have seen in your life? I have an interesting one for well, at least for me, because I was always, you know, I was so used to people saying like, oh, Omar, you're like the whitest black girl I've ever met or X, Y, and Z growing up. Mm-hmm. And I remember... Um, having like an internship in New York City, my going into my senior year of college and there was, we're in the storm room and there's only one other black girl. And so I guess I wasn't aware that I was code switching, but I would code switch when I was talking to her and other people would enter the space. And I didn't realize that other people had like an issue or like they noticed it and were like, Mm -hmm. oh, Amari talks differently when she talks to the other black girl. Um, 
And it was like, I didn't know like she could like speak like that or do whatever. And to me, that was like the first instance where someone was like, oh, you might be acting too black in this space. And I think I was just so used to, I actually kind of took it as a compliment because I was so used to people telling me I was so white that I was like, oh, see, like, you're like, this is new. I got this. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I think that was probably one of the first instances um, where someone pointed out that I was being too black. Other than that, it was mostly like, oh, I do a lot of, I guess what people think is nerdy. So like, I, you know, like read a lot or I just like know a lot of random facts and for whatever reason, people have this idea that black people can't be smart. So if you're like show any um, in, like moment of intelligence, like, oh my God, like this is so new. And it's like, no, white people aren't the only smart people in the room. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's definitely interesting for me too, when I think about being in a corporate office, right? And that environment of, especially working in a, um, what's often perceived as such a materialistic industry right in the fashion industry and it's so much about what you look like and how you dress and and how you carry yourself and when you think about it from the perspective of being categorized by both white people and black people it's so prevalent in that setting because you have to think okay i'm you know just white enough quote unquote to fit into this setting but also how do i bring my full self to work at the same time and make sure that i'm balancing out both sides of myself that to me is just one aspect but you know we we face such categorization from both groups that you start to think oh my gosh okay if i talk like that they're going to think i'm too this way or if i you know, say I'm reading something, they're going to think I'm too black. So, you know, it's just, it's, it's very interesting in that aspect for me as well. Um, I also had an instance at my first job where it was like, I realized, am I too black for this space, which is not something that I'm used to encountering. Um, I found that, you know, the the office that I worked in is in Williamsburg. So you being from New York, you kind of know, or being in New York, you know, Williamsburg's vibe, right? It's like Mm -hmm. a very hipster vibe. And my coworkers would just talk about all these different grunge, white 90s bands. And I had absolutely no clue who they were. And I would find myself at all these social events at work. And they would be talking about all these niche hipster authors or beer culture or like I said these grunge bands and they were just things that were so far away from any like I I didn't know what these things were and people were looking at me like how do you not know what this is and I just found culturally this is not something that I grew up with as a black person now I've listened to Paramore and and tons of other alt-rock bands I've dabbled in Screamo I've dabbled (laughs) in white stuff obviously growing up in a white area but these are things that I just wasn't familiar with so I was like I just couldn't relate in that aspect and I felt like socially because I couldn't relate to my coworkers, it kind of set me back and it was so weird because growing up in a white area and being used to being able to relate to white stuff and not so much with black stuff and then going to a job and and being like wow i'm too black for this it was it was a really weird experience for me yeah um i was literally going to say the same thing today really <laughs> yeah cuz me and Janae had the same um first job yeah. and so um the the first time i felt like the too black side was i mean i not really in college because I, I think my college was super diverse. So like I, I did like the idea of like where I felt like I could 
100% be myself because, like, my friend group, it's, like, me, one Asian girl, and two white girls. And, like, they're pretty chill. But, like, I'm, I am i can't be, like, 100% authentic, like, myself because I'll, mm-hmm. like, I want to talk about white people. I want to talk about black stuff that they can't get. So, like, I do love them. They're my best friends. But it's, I, I like, when it's time to, like, go out and, like, enjoy, like, hip-hop or stuff, like, I will, like, usually only go out with, like, my black friends because it's, like, yeah, I want to get down. Like, I don't want to be the only one in the friend group that's, like, wants to turk and all stuff and everyone's just like doing a two-step so it's like <laughs> stuff like that I will do and then um but the first time I really struggled it was the first job and um like Janae said like it, I was the only black person on the team I was the only black woman on the team and they would they would talk about stuff um that like for real for real I didn't even I didn't even know what it was like they would talk about where they would shop and I I swear to god I, I had never heard of these places I didn't even know like what they were like where they were like I, I I thought it was honestly like another language sometimes and so I just like couldn't really and then I when I would bring something up like one time I brought up like a guy on the team was getting married and I brought up like oh are you gonna have like he's like I want like old dances and I was like oh are you gonna bring up like the Dougie and everyone's like what's that Oh god! Oh, wow, that's and so actually crazy. Exactly, you called it an old dance, though. I know, <laughs> well, and I, not old dance. Kind of like I the two thousand like, Cupid Shuffle. <laughs> well, I guess he was saying like those older dances, like you know that like everyone like did was like you yeah. know the Dougie and stuff. So I was like, oh, um, you know, I just brought up that, and then like from there, I was like, well, I don't know how to relate to you guys if you don't even know like the Dougie, like, mm-hmm. and then it was just kind of annoying because that. I didn't realize that that like affects like who gets a promotion and who doesn't. And we talked about this in one of our episodes that like, you know, black women aren't allowed to be like introverted at work. And like, because um, I couldn't relate to them. Like the only thing on my review that was negative was like, Oh, you should speak up more and like socialize more, which I didn't think looking back, I didn't think that was fair because my job was like to be a publicist and I did the job of a publicist. Like I got press. I did the pitches and it was like just because I can't relate you're they actually promoted the white girl over me because and we started the same day so and she like doesn't even have like half the resume I did or like half the work I did but because she could relate and she was in that whole like Williamsburg vibe they like had promoted her yeah 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 it's 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 really interesting because you know as, as we mentioned we grew up in those white spaces but then we switched to public school for high school and then my college experience go tar heels uh, mari um <laughs> You know, it, it was interesting because we just, we, all the black people found each other and it was like all the black people that went to that school, it seemed had, had some part in some point in their life experienced this. And so, you know, it was kind of like an escape from it. And then I go to graduate school and it's like thrown right back. It's small classrooms, it's eight to 10 people. And now I'm the, I'm the spokesperson. I'm the only person in the room of color. I'm the one of five black people out of 65 in my entire program. And, you know, it's like, we're in a city like Houston, we're providing therapy to mostly minority clients. And now, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm the one that's supposed to speak for every person of color, not just every black person, but now every person of color and still go out and, and drink and talk about these topics that I don't know. And I don't understand. So it's just, it's just interesting. The amount of pressures that we have to face outside of, like you guys mentioned, those overt examples of discrimination. It's just no one really explains or talks about what this kind of implicit bias and these feelings of microaggressions and just not fitting in 
due to your race, something that you can't change at all and your culture, right? It's like, it, it's just so hard and it creates almost sometimes a shame around it, or it creates just certain things that you feel like you have to hide and show. And so, yeah, definitely appreciate everyone's contributions there. Yeah. Um, kind of shifting gears here a little bit. Um, obviously our listeners can't see us, but we all, you know, look very different from each other. And I think that's something to talk about because it's not just one type of black person who experiences being labeled an Oreo, right? It's not just light skinned black people or mixed people. I think we all face it based on things that we're all talking about, right? How we sound, where we grew up, um, X, Y, Z. So kind of diving into that deeper, how do you all feel colorism plays into the effects or impacts of the, of these experiences that we're talking about? Yeah. I feel like there's this whole idea that Oreos is, I don't know why it's just something for like mixed people or like light skinned <laughs> people. Um, and Yeah. And it's, I think that's just like, it's such an interesting thing that's developed. But I think for me, at least it was, there was not a lot of like black people in general in my school. Um, But I was definitely, I think out of the girls, like one of the darkest ones. Um, And for me, I think that that usually came out to play in like, I was always assumed to be aggressive, uh, like off the bat. And then it was like, oh, I always thought you were you were mean or x y and z and then it felt like i had to go through so many layers for people to just like understand that i'm kind of a relatively quiet human being and (laughs) i like to think i'm nice um and and i think also um i didn't necessarily have words for it at the time or understand why everyone would usually lean to me being aggressive or like make comments on me being so dark um until like i found the term for colorism and started to look back on these different situations and I think I but I think I mostly understood it and I hate that it always comes back to dating for some reason but I just noticed it in the way that men would I should call them men because they were boys at that time but (laughs) boys would approach um either like the white girls or they would approach the light-skinned black girls and it was always like just me in a corner um just like reading a book or something so I think that was how I um I noticed that a little bit more or anyone who showed anyone who showed more European centric features seemed to have an easier time making relationships with people or like being approached by people. And um, that's kind of just like how I noticed it more. So um, growing up. Yeah. um, I guess the same with Amari in terms of like the dating aspect, I think, I, I guess it's the opposite. So it's like, yes, you'll be approached, but then they'll, it's not for like the right reasons. Like they'll say, oh, you're light skin or like comment on like something about your skin tone where it's like, mm-hmm. okay, so this, this isn't a compliment anymore. And um, you basically just said, if I, if I was darker, then you wouldn't approach me. And that's like not the person I want. So I think it's the same where we're like men sometimes are just, I, I just don't know if they like comprehend things, but like they think it's a compliment and it's not. And so you're just kind of reminded like, oh, you, you're only getting approached because you have lighter skin. Like it's, it's like, uh, I don't know if you would like me for like, it, it's, it's not like, oh, you have a nice smile or you have like nice eyes. It's just like, you have light skin. I will approach you. So like, it's, it's a very interesting, um, I guess the opposite side where it's like, I, I guess it's something that's supposed to be a compliment, but it just, it feels like a backhanded compliment. It's crazy that we've created a society where 
your skin color is a compliment or not, you know, like that we're even in a place where someone could say, oh, you're light skinned as a positive, you know, and it's just like, that's the environment that has been created for us to live in. And we're actively trying to reshape that, but it's hard. (laughs) Go ahead, Janae. Sorry. Yeah. I feel like this is a a good question. This is a very like nuanced question. Um, So personally, I was also perceived as being aggressive, like Amari said, but I was perceived as being aggressive because I'm six foot tall. So I often had that feeling of I'm not accepted because of my Blackness around white people. And on top of that, my size, too, makes me more um, intimidating. And I often felt that no matter what my skin color was, just in a friendship setting or or in a first impression, I, I, I guess you could say, that no matter how light or dark I am, it'll never matter to white people because they always see Black people as aggressive. And I think for me, that was definitely a thing that I realized early. Um, but I will say with the colorism piece of it, I was told many times by darker skinned men that I went to high school with that they would like to be with a girl my shade because they don't, they think it would look weird if they were with a darker girl. And for me, that was always kind of like, do you hate yourself? Like, and and why do you think that's a compliment to me? And that's something that I still, um, when men hit on me to this day, they still comment on my skin tone. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've talked about this on the podcast, but my sister is probably Amari skin tone. Um, and she constantly told me about how much more privileged I was when it came to dating and, and romance because of my light skin. She constantly told me about, you know, her getting passed up by girls that were lighter than her um, for a lot of opportunities. So I'm sure as a, a light-skinned person, I kind of have a blind spot with that of just not experiencing that as much. Um, that was a good question though. Really good question. <laughs> yeah. I like that that different perspective that you guys brought there um, because we we don't really have that experience of obviously being dark darker skinned of, get, of getting that, of what it's like to feel like you're only being approached because you're light. Right. And just what that does, again, in group and out group of feeling like your skin tone in every way is, is determining how people perceive you and if they like you or if they're attracted to you. So it kind of messes you up to right? <laughs> I and I will definitely stand here and say that darker skin women have it harder, like 100 mm-hmm. percent. But as a light-skinned woman, it's difficult to go into spaces. And white people are like, you have the perfect skin tone, you're tan. I've been told that. (laughs) And then to go into Black spaces and men are talking to you. And now I have to figure out if you're only talking to me because you want a trophy. If you're only talking to me because you see I have light skin. Not because you want to get to know me. Not because you care. But because you just want to be able to go back to your homies and be like, yeah, I can bag a light-skinned chick. You know, it it yeah. create it's a weird thing. It's very weird. Yeah. It's very problematic. It is problematic, and I feel like maybe I'm so like um, jaded by the process that like nine times out of ten, like when um, a black guy, or particularly darker black guy, like comes up to me, I'm I automatically question like, are you gonna say something about the light skin? Are you only approaching me because the light skin? I mean, usually I find out within like ten minutes because guys are stupid, but. Um, 
it's it's a little like it's annoying because I don't want to have that um like perception of you already but it just it, because it's happened so many times I like I, I just like question like oh do I really look good or are you just like gonna do the light skin thing and I think also the same with like dating outside your race that um a lot of white people or other people want to try a black girl and you're light enough like you're you're the safe black girl. You're the safe black girl. So it's like, you know, We've I just had a debate about this too, because I think there's also the opposite spectrum of it too, where a lot of some people from other races will be like, I'm going to go all the way and I'm getting bag like the dark, the darkest skinned black person. And that's going to be them like diving into the pool. That's true too. Um, I think it goes um, both ways, but also I think too, like we, we talked about this on, we did a colorism episode too, but we also talked about how it plays in the job market as well and how like statistics say the lighter you are, the more likely you are to get a job. Um, and I find that, and, and, and it just sucks in general for black women trying to get jobs because we always, I feel like you'll talk to people with natural hair and be like, I have to straighten my hair for the job interview. And then once I get the job, then I can go natural. And it's like, you have to, you have to be like 10 steps ahead of all the ways that people might discriminate against you or deduct points in the interview process and I feel like um uh I even though white people may not be aware of colorism like they might not have the term for it I think they they will abide by those laws in certain ways um but yeah and that sorry to cut you off Kia yeah I I think we're getting excited we're getting hyped about this <laughs> no I yeah, was basically all day <laughs> yeah no I was basically done I just wanted to make the point that it could be like both ways where it's like uh you're fetishized on like both sides basically or by everyone and just one quick thing I think that's why I did a little career shift it's one of the many reasons why because originally I went to school for broadcast journalism um and I realized I I interned at a, a small network in my hometown in Syracuse and I had a teacher who told me before that internship that I would have to straighten my hair and I would probably have to put on foundation to cover up my freckles because they might be too distracting um, and I was like that ain't right uh <laughs> and then I got the internship and so someone made a comment of like, oh yeah, maybe you should try straightening your hair. That would look good on camera. Um, so for me, it was a moment of like, if I go into broadcast journalism, I'm going to have to look like a digestible black person and that's straightening my hair. That's not something I want to do. So That's such a key word, digestible. And it's something that is so prevalent in office settings. And also in, you know, obviously you were going to be in um, broadcast journalism, but it's just something that I've had happen to me too. People have come up to me at work and when my hair is straight and said to me like, oh, it looks amazing. And then when my hair is curly, I've literally had people come up to me and say, oh, why didn't you straighten your hair? <laughs> and I'm just like, what goes through people's minds? But it's, um, yeah, it's definitely great to hear you guys' perspectives on that. And props to you, Janae, for even following your boundaries or setting boundaries or realizing that that was a, wasn't a space that was serving you because, you know, I feel like, and I definitely went through it at, at a, some point in my life, but I feel like so many people there, they become so focused on fitting into that space that they change this about themselves. They change that about themselves. We get lost in the code switching that when we step back, it's like, who are we, right? Who are we when we're not trying to mold ourselves for each setting or, you know, and, and so that's where I think, you know, we wanted to end on that kind of question is like when we're not trying to 
mold ourselves for this environment or to attract this kind of partner or, you know, who are we when we're not trying to focus on that's too white, that's too black, right? Yeah, I think that's, that's great. Deep. That's yeah. deep. <laughs> and I'm sitting here like, wait, who am I? I know. <laughs> I kind of want, like, you just gave me an idea because I kind of want, like, an episode on, like, asking someone, like, if they do, like, certain beauty trends to, like, present as black enough. So, like, I think we've talked about this before, but, like, we were talking about, like, their acrylic nails and, like, um, the lashes and, like, all that stuff where um, I guess it's perceived, like, black women uh, typically have that. Um, and I wonder if, if people ever feel like they have to do that to, like, per- be, like, perceived as, like, black because it – I was watching this TikTok. Sorry, I'm, like – talking as I'm thinking in my head but I was watching this TikTok and a a black girl was like putting pictures of like what men want when they say they want a black girl and it was just it was kind of like that like you know the long weave the eyelashes the nail extensions all that stuff and it's like she made a point like no one ever wants like the regular schmegger black girl like no one wants the girl that's like not you know have like the fat ass and like the stereotypical that we see on like TV which I thought was really interesting because I was like oh I never really thought about that like I don't know I just thought it was really interesting so I, I kind of want to like would like to dive deep into that whole like do people feel like they have to do this because um it's perceived as like the stereotype with mm-hmm. black women in terms of like beauty standards and I do want to say that that came up for me and Amari actually um we went to Atlanta uh, and we were in a very black space and I would say our entire group of friends that we hang out with for the most part all have natural hair. We don't wear acrylic nails, fake eyelashes, all of that stuff. And I do think that uh, an aside with that is that this creates two different types of Black women. And I think it can really create some, not tension, but it's definitely a, it's, it's a note. I think it's a mental note for me where it's like, there are some Black girls who do this, some Black girls who do that. Does that make me Black enough? But to continue my story. <laughs> um, and we were just chilling. We look good. We look good. <laughs> um, but guys started calling us cocoa butter uh, because we, I'm guessing, because we just looked more natural. And the entire night, guys were screaming out cocoa butter at us as we walked through <laughs> this venue. Um and it, it was just an interesting moment of like, wow, there's, I'm different because I don't do those things. Is this a comment on how Black I am? Or is it just a comment on this difference that some people don't see? And I do sometimes, I'm like, maybe I should put on the acrylics. And I've done it before. And I'm just like, I can't even open a can of seltzer. Like, this isn't working for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Well, I don't know if you want to jump in there, but just to kind no, of. I'm, like, so, I'm, I'm still thinking about who I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's interesting to that point. I feel like to Jasmine's question, you know, of really how we would define ourselves if society didn't do it for us. And when I think about it, I really think about, you know, I grew up around white people, right? And then transition into more black spaces. And when I think about how that shaped my outlook on, you know, society in general, I really go into situations, A, optimistic, and B, fully bringing myself to a conversation because I know that 
I've had experiences with both groups of people and can use that to kind of not fit in, but find commonalities with any group of people. And it's interesting when you have that mentality and people still find ways to put you into a bucket and, and to still, um, you know, say, oh, okay, so you're that type of person or, or you're not this type of person. Um, but I think it's important that we still keep that mentality of, okay, I know who I am and I am confident in my blackness, A, but also in these traits and qualities that make me who I am that other people might perceive as whiteness. Um, so that's kind of where, where I stand on it, but. Yeah. Something you said, um, clicked for me, or is that, uh, I think it's just an unfortunate reality as black Americans in this country is that most of a lot of the spaces that we enter will be white spaces. I think, especially as you climb up in your career, I think the whiter they get, Um, And so in a weird way, I am thankful that I was able to adapt to those spaces early on in my life and have a better understanding of how to navigate them because you're not going to really get away from them. But I think the older I've gotten, it's just like, I don't have the energy to pretend like I'm not like I'm not the person I am. Um, And I think it's just being able to better um, mentally handle those microaggressions and be able to catch on to them quickly for what they are but also like I think now I've gotten better with the comebacks um or like talking to people in their own language um yeah but I think it's definitely just like I don't have the energy to try to fit in with a certain group or if people want to label me that's like fine I just like know I may not want like Janae was you know at that age I think she was uh mentally mature enough to understand that that wasn't the environment she wanted to be in and I think that's kind of like the place I I've gotten to now as an adult I think that part right there, that part of knowing how to being comfortable with yourself and just being like, this is who I am. And that's it. Because I also feel there was a point in my life as an Oreo where I really wanted to fit in with white people. I I just felt like being white would be easier for me. Um, And then growing up a little bit and being like, okay, so maybe being a little blacker would make my life easier. Um, and I just feel like I'm at a part, a point where, like Amari said, I'm tired. I am who I am. Um, and I think, like you both said, growing up in a, a white area has equipped me to be able to na- navigate these spaces. But still, like, I am who I am. I love me. That's not going to change. And I think now my work comes with asking people questions mm-hmm. when they say things like that and asking people why did you just point out that I speak properly? Or why don't you think that, I don't know, Black people are supposed to speak a certain way? Or why did you feel the need to point out that I speak properly or listen to a certain music or something like that? I think for me, that's the work now of being able to have those comebacks, ask people questions. Well, so thank you so much, so-called Oreos, for coming on the podcast today. I think we had a really deep and honest and raw conversation about some of these challenging topics that we don't talk about, about feeling like we're too black or too white. Um, And so I believe our main takeaway here is that even though society will try to define us based on our race, based on our height, based on our gender, 
right? It's important to not internalize these labels. It's instead important to realize that there's beauty in all of our characteristics, that we don't have to define them as a race or as a certain it is representative of, you know, who we are in that way of like not molding to society and things like that. So I think it's just important that we realize that there's beauty in all of our characteristics, even if it isn't similar to those around us. Yeah. And really just remembering to love ourselves. And like you said, we don't have the energy and that is, that is 2021 in, you know, uh, motto, right? Protect your energy, protect your peace. And worry about yourself first and, and loving yourself and not really trying to accommodate any of, or any of your characteristics to fit into any of these boxes that society has for us. And moving into our call for action for this week's episode about not being black enough, as with all of our guest speakers, we would like the so-called Oreos to identify a goal for listeners this week. So if you all had to articulate based on, you know, the things that we've talked about here today for anyone else that might be struggling with the label Oreo or trying to figure out where they fit in or how to be themselves and to love themselves, right? What would your call to action be? Oof. Okay. Um, I like the idea of Janae saying she has like follow-up questions when people have a comment about like, you speak so proper, you're pretty for a black girl. I think a nice call to action really be follow up and not be like defensive or combative, but just be like, why did you say that? And so it can really like turn the tables on them and like have them like maybe rethink asking that question to other people. Um, maybe another call to action would be, um, I think one that I'm continuously working on too is not being gentle with yourself, but also being gentle with others and not judging them. I noticed sometimes as I've gotten more comfortable with my blackness or like how I identify myself, sometimes it can be easy to feel like you're judging other people um, for how they live in their blackness. And I think it's like, okay, just be more gentle with yourself, but be more gentle with other and others and don't prejudge. Um, Unless, unless they're like the black people storming the Capitol. Like, I'm sorry. We can, <laughs> there are some lines. We draw the line. <laughs> we draw the line. <laughs> um, and I, I guess I would say to any younger Oreo that's listening to this, I would say really take the time to evaluate who you put yourself around. Um, I think for me, there was a part in my life and, you know, I'd say high school where I would put myself around people who I knew didn't have my best interests as, at heart as a Black person. Um, and then I went to college and I really made it a point to become friends with people that I felt like identified similarly to me. So I would say to any young Oreo, really take a step back and say, you know, are these people that are saying ignorant things to me, are they people that I hang out with a lot? who can I look around that might be from the same background as me that might make me feel more comfortable? Yeah, that's a great one. Um, and I think it's, it's really, that's very important. And we've talked about it a lot on, you know, some of our other episodes about choosing people who choose you and who, um, have your best interests at heart, but also have prioritized understanding you. So yeah, well, with that, thank you guys so much again for talking with us today. It was so amazing having you on and we really look forward to, you know, future conversations. Thank awesome. you for having us. Thank you. Remember everyone, ignorance thrives in silence. 
Whereas understanding stems from conversation. So So start start talking. talking. Again, my name is Jasmine Brooks. And my name is Kiana Brooks. And And we we are your hosts of We Had the Talk. Remember to check out our Instagram page for some bonus content this week as Jasmine and I break down the details of this episode and ask our peers and colleagues their opinion on this week's pod. See you next week for the fourth episode of We Had the Talk, another engaging episode entitled We Had the Talk about being Black in COVID-19. Talk soon.